Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning. I'll be reading today the Word of God from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6 in Tagalog. So, umalis siya roon at pumunta sa kanyang sariling bayan sa sumunod sa kanyang ang kanyang mga alagad. Nang sumapit ang sabat, nagpasimula siyang magturo sa sinagoga at marami sa mga nakikinig sa kanya ay namangha na sinasabi, saan kinuha ng taong ito ang lahat ng ito? Anong karunungan na ito na ibinigay sa kanya? Anong mga kapangyarihang gawa ang ginagawa ng kanyang mga kamay? Hindi ba ito ang karpintero, ang anak ni Maria at kapatid ni na Santiago, Jose, Judas at Simon? Hindi ba narito kasama natin ang, mga, ang kanyang mga kapatid na babae at sila ay natisod sa kanya? Kaya't sinabi sa kanila ni Jesus, ang propeta ay hindi nawawala ng karangalan maliban sa kanyang sariling bayan, sa kanyang sariling mga kamag-anak at sa kanyang sariling bahay. Hindi siya nakagawa roon ng anumang makapangyarihang gawa maliban sa ipanatong niya ang kanyang mga kamay sa ilang mga may sakit at pinagaling sila. Nanggilala siya sa kanilang hindi pagsasampalataya Siya ay lumibot at natututuro sa mga nayong nasa paligid. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Morning. My name is Caleb. I'm glad to be with you this morning, glad to be a part of this church family, and honored to be able to bring the word this morning from Mark chapter 6. Thank you, Dale, for reading uh, in your native language. That was a beautiful thing. Let me pray before we get started with the word. Father, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and uh, anoint my lips to proclaim your word uh, truthfully, boldly. Father, would you fill this room with your spirit and our hearts, open our hearts to receive your truth, our minds to get understanding, and to move within our spirit to greater faith, to greater love, and greater obedience in your name. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe that it's been almost exactly Eight years ago, since the Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl, Uh, and they won in dominating fashion, capping off an incredible season uh, to win the Super Bowl, to give Seattle its first ever and still only Super Bowl. Uh, And uh, three days after the Super Bowl, they came home and the city throws uh, an epic Parade. I don't know if for those of you who live in the area, you probably remember it was, it was crazy. I think I have a picture up here. 
uh, Marshawn Lynch throwing Skittles, uh, 700,000 people uh, in downtown Seattle. And at the time, I worked in downtown Seattle back uh, when that was a thing, and there was hundreds of people. I was up, uh, I forget what floor I was, but I could see over the sea of blue and green, uh, and, and I think it was so uh, popular. Even Pastor Andrew, I think, was there. I think we might have a picture. Uh, there, there he is. Maybe he was there in the crowd. Actually, upon further inspection, maybe that's not him, uh, but, <laughs> but there was this 49er fan in the midst of it. But it was just this really fitting conclusion to this amazing season that the Seahawks had. And so many people were there to celebrate and, 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 and just, just uh, relish in the Super Bowl that we finally had. And, and here in this passage, we, we've been going through Mark, and, and Jesus has been essentially throwing all these touchdowns left and right. We saw uh, earlier that Jesus was sleeping in the boat when there was this crazy storm out in the sea, and Jesus wakes up and says, be still, and the storm was stopped. Touchdown, Jesus. And Jesus also exerted authority over the spiritual world, where he saw a man who was possessed by not one demon, but a legion of demons. And at the word of Jesus, the legion of demons fled this man into the, into the pigs. And this man who was crazy and insane was now in his right mind and fully clothed. Touchdown, Jesus. And we also saw later uh, Jesus heal the woman from the flow of blood. We saw Jesus uh, heal or, or really raise this little girl from the dead by saying, Talitha, get up. Touchdown, Jesus. And now in this passage, Jesus is coming back home to his hometown. And you would think after all these touchdowns left and right, this would be the great homecoming. This would be the time for a parade. This would be the time to roll out the red carpet and get the royal treatment. And as we read this passage, we realize that's not how the story goes. Despite all of, all of the success, all of the miracles, uh, his hometown takes offense at Jesus. Why? The answer, as we'll see, is unbelief. Unbelief. And I want to take a, uh, take a look at the reason for their unbelief, maybe the reason for our unbelief, and then see if there's any good news in the text in spite of our unbelief. The title of the message this morning is Why Miracles are not enough, but Jesus is. Why miracles are not enough, but Jesus is. And the first point that I want to make is that their unbelief is not because of the power and miracles of Jesus. Their unbelief is not because of the powers and the miracles of Jesus. Let me read again verse 1 and 2. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. 
What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Sometimes we say things like, I'll believe it when I see it. And and what we mean when we say that is, the thing you're talking about is so unbelievable, I, I, I don't even think it's a possibility, so I need to see it first. And that's not at all what's going on in this passage. They understand what Jesus is doing. They, they hear Jesus speaking, and they're amazed at the wisdom with which he speaks. They've heard the reports of the miracles that Jesus has done. They're not denying that he's doing the miracles. So this is a passage where they're very well aware of what Jesus is doing, and yet they still reject him. They call his miracles remarkable. I think sometimes in our day, it's easy to sit back and judge Jesus' hometown. Right? If, if, if we uh, heard and saw all that Jesus did, we would have no excuse but to believe. Like, who are these fools who, who've seen Jesus perform all these miracles and still reject him? Some people who are doubters today say things like, if, if I was there, and if I had seen everything that Jesus did, I would believe. Or, or if Jesus came right now and spoke to me, of course I would believe. And the point I want to make is this. Miracles alone are not enough to produce faith. Miracles alone are not enough to produce faith. They weren't then, uh, they weren't then and they're not now, the doubter says, if Jesus would just show himself, come speak to me, do a magic trick, and then I'll believe. And the problem is that's not really true. Miracles still happen today, and yet not everyone believes. It might not happen every day of our lives. That's why they call them miracles and not Tuesdays. But miracles do happen. Let me give you an example of what I would call a miracle. There was a story uh, several years back, uh, May 26, uh, 2013, a tugboat uh, capsized off the coast of Nigeria, sunk to the bottom of the sea about 30 meters, 100 feet below the surface. And about three days afterwards, they sent a search and recovery team to go start recovering the bodies. They had recovered four bodies when they saw the hand of a fifth body down in the wreckage. And as they were grabbing for the hand, the hand moved and grabbed back. They were shocked. (laughs) They realized what was a search and recovery became a search and rescue mission, they found a man named Harrison Okene, who was stuck in an air bubble underneath the sea. Not a very large air bubble, for three days and three nights, with a dwindling air supply. And he, I'll read a little uh, part of the article. Uh, Can you imagine that, first of all? You're just there. You don't think, I mean, first of all, it's, it's almost a miracle that there's an air bubble there for you to breathe in. But at that point, you're thinking, this is going to be a slow death. 
Right? What, what in the world is going to save me? And let me read to you a little bit of what he said. He said, I was there in the water in total darkness, just thinking it's the end. I kept thinking the water was going to fill up the room, but it did not. I was so hungry, but mostly so, so thirsty, the salt water took the skin off my tongue. And then he continues. He says, as the temperature dropped, or this the article says, as the temperature dropped to freezing, O'Kenny, dressed in only boxer shorts, recited the last psalm his wife had sent by text message, sometimes called the prayer for deliverance. O God, by your name, save me. The Lord sustains my life. Now, if you had a if someone had asked you before this thing happened, could a ship capsize and someone go to the bottom of the sea and be found three days later alive, you probably would have said, nah. <laughs> I don't know, unless you believe in Jesus, right? Then, then you would probably say, oh, I don't know. Like this story is almost biblical. In fact, there is a story in the Bible that's very similar to this, right? Anyone know? Jonah. Like people, like scholars look at that and like, or liberal scholars look at that. Unbelieving scholars look at that and say, no, that can't possibly happen. No way. And then we get a modern day Jonah situation and it can happen. Because you know why? It's a miracle. God still works. Now, science will try to explain it, right? They try to say, well, there was this transfer of oxygen with the water and the carbon dioxide, right? They will try to, because you look at them like, there's no way that can happen. And so we try and we try and try. But the obvious answer is, that's a miracle. And you know what Harrison thinks? He says this, to this day, O'Kenny believes his rescue after 72 hours underwater at a depth of 30 meters, about 100 feet, is a sign of divine deliverance. I agree. I hope you agree. The fundamental problem of humanity is not our lack of miracles. We have them, but we misattribute them. We have miracles, but we are so easy to explain them away of luck, chance, hard work, science rather than go with the obvious answer that God did something that day for Harrison Okene. And God still does things today for us. The question is, do we attribute those things to God? So then unbelief in miracles is not really the central reason for disbelief in this passage. The question is, what is? The answer is Jesus himself. Jesus is the reason they don't believe. And let me continue reading. Verse 3. Sorry, verse 2a through 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Has anyone had the experience where you grew up with someone, friend or family, and, and later in life, they experience some measure of success that surprises you? Raise your hand. If you've, you've grown up with someone, friend or family, 
they, later they have some measure of success that surprises you. And, and if you're honest, did you find it hard to accept? I can think of that experience in my life. I can think when I was started my career in consulting, there's people who started with me that now are three and four levels promoted beyond me. And, and as I think back to that time, like they were no different than me. They didn't stand out as remarkable or someone who had just reached these heights. And yet, there it is. And, and we know that we should be happy for them, right? We, we ought to be uh, uh, really pleased with what God has done in their lives. And yet, if we're honest, sometimes that's not always the case. Oh, you, you went on to your third trip to Hawaii this year? Praise God. You've reached one million subscribers on YouTube? Oh, the Lord has blessed you. Oh, you're, you're pregnant with your fifth now? Oh, you must got a lot of work coming. Oh, oh you have a live-in nanny full-time? Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Oh, you've been promoted to president of your company? Wow. I've met the president of my company on, on Zoom. <laughs> if we're honest, we might have the feeling, but wait, I grew up with this person. Right? I cracked jokes with this person. We, we shared the same classroom. We ate the same food. We hung in the same circles, and, and they were just like everyone else, and all of a sudden now they're getting all this favor. And that's partly what's going on in this passage with Jesus. So we read in verse 3, they start asking these questions. Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he the, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Judas and Simon and the other one? <laughs> like, and, and aren't his sisters with us? And in other words, what they're saying, isn't this the guy that we know? Isn't this the guy around the block who worked on my house? Like, he was no different. And in fact, they're kind of digging at him in some ways because they call him the son of Mary, which in their culture, they would not have referred to anyone as the son of their mother unless there was some question about who their father was. And so they're kind of taking a little dig, like, isn't this the person we don't really know who his father is? And so what they're saying is he's, he's come from the wrong family, he's got the wrong education, he's got the wrong trade, he's just like all of us. How dare Jesus step out of the confines of the box we put him in? How dare he? It's not the miracles they reject, it's Jesus himself they reject because he's too ordinary and he's too familiar to them. And so they reject him. And Jesus says, a prophet, in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And Jesus is making no ambiguous allusion to the fact that his own family rejected him or was rejecting him, at least at that point. Let me ask you a question. For those of us who have been in the church for a while, has Jesus become too ordinary or too familiar to you? Has Jesus become so ordinary that you're no longer expecting a demonstration of his power? 
Has he become so familiar that the things in your life that you used to easily attribute to God, you no longer easily attribute to God. You call it luck. You call it hard work. You call it coincidence. I think of multiple times in my life where I fell asleep on the highway. And I remember at the time just praising God because I lived. I'm here. (laughs) I fell asleep on the highway going 60 miles an hour, and I woke up and caught myself before I crashed off the road. I actually fell asleep on the highway once and got into an accident. At least it was bumper-to-bumper traffic. And I praise God both those times, multiple times. Now I, I have five-hour energy drink and a wife who asks me every so often, how are you doing? <laughs> and it's, it's easy to go back and go, oh, well, it was the bumps that woke me up. Or it was the crash that woke me up. Or, you know, explain it away. Instead of just, you know what? God was there in that moment. God saved me in that moment. I'm not, I might not be here, save for God saving me in that moment. Has Jesus become so familiar, so ordinary, that we no longer attach the things in our lives that are good to his good grace and power? The problem of unbelief in this passage is that they can't see past an ordinary and familiar Jesus to connect him to the extraordinary. All they see is Jesus who works in construction. All they see is the Jesus whose biological father is a mystery. All they see is the Jesus from around the block who worked a regular trade like everyone else, who had the same education like everyone else, who is no different from all of their friends, and they can't see past it. Their unbelief is not because of the miracles, but because of a Jesus that's too ordinary and too familiar to them. And so Jesus is rejected by his hometown, his relatives, and even his own family. And if that's not sad enough, let me continue reading. Verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith, at their unbelief. Jesus has demonstrated every possible reason for for them to believe, and yet they continue in unbelief. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have felt to Jesus? I have a a daughter named Chloe, and she's almost two years old. And uh, she's still learning how to use a spoon correctly. And so she has this method where she she does the scoop just fine, but then she holds the spoon at a 45-degree angle (laughs) and then turns it before it goes into her mouth. So often half the food that was in the spoon is on the floor. And, and this is bad for, for both of us, right? This is, this is bad for Chloe because she's not getting the full bite in her mouth. And this is bad for me and Stephanie because we have to clean up after it. And so I, I reach out to Chloe and says, Chloe, let me, let me show you a better way. 
And uh, she, she has this response, which I call the ah, no, double flap, double hand flap. So she says, she doesn't just say no. She says, ah, no, ah, no. And she does this at the same time. I said, Chloe, let me, let me just show you how to, how to put that in your mouth and keep it so it doesn't follow. Ah, no, ah, no. And I'm just sitting there marveling at why she doesn't want my help. Why she continues adamant in this horizontally challenged method of spoon feeding herself. Frustrating, right? Like, doesn't she know that her eating experience will improve a hundredfold if she would just accept my help? Sometimes I wonder if we give God the odd no double hand flap. Jesus says, let me help you with your marriage. Ah, no. Jesus says, let me help you with your career ambitions. We say, ah, no. Jesus says, let me help you with your mental issues. Ah, no, no, no. Jesus says, let me help you with your financial situation. We say, ah, no. Jesus says, let me help you with your anger, your lust, your pride. Ah, no, no. So far, Jesus has gone around bringing words of healing and life, improving the lives of many, even forgiving sin. And his hometown mostly wants nothing to do with him. And Jesus marvels and is amazed at their lack of faith and unbelief. Don't they know that Jesus would make their lives better? It's a question for us this morning. Do we know that Jesus will make our lives better? And, and I'm very aware of the health and wealth and prosperity gospel and the dangers of interpreting Jesus' favor in our own ways. But can I be so bold as to say that Jesus wants to make your life better? Jesus wants to make our lives better. Jesus didn't come to give us worse lives. Jesus came to help, like the love of a good father, like me trying to help Chloe. I want to help. I want to help Chloe get better at whatever it is. Jesus has the love of a father towards us. He wants good for us. It may not be how we expect. It may not be how we dream of, but he wants to enrich our lives with his presence and his love in our lives. He asks us, do we want him to help? And in my experience, God has... Sometimes, you know, sometimes our help, the help that we want is not the help that we need. And sometimes God's no in answering the prayers that we ask for is for our good. When I think of times where God has said no in my life, it feels painful at the moment and maybe painful for a time. But then over time, I look back and I realize, wow, that was God's grace in my life because it would have been a mistake. It would have led to a worse life 
or sometimes I learn something through it that I would not have learned otherwise. And because of that, I now have a richer understanding and vision of who God is because he walked through me, with me, in that pain. But even in the midst of our unbelief, there's still good news. Let me read the last half of verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. I thought about this last verse, which most of your Bibles will actually put in the next section, like kicking off the next, because it does lead into the next section. But it's still part of verse 6. As I thought about this passage, where's the good news? That verse hit me. Because in Jesus' frustration, if you call it that, his marveling at their unbelief, what Jesus doesn't do is remarkable. He doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't say, you know, these people are so fresh. I'm just giving up on them. He continues to stay on his mission. He continues to offer help. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus saw past our unbelief, and in love, he saw the joy of when one day those people who said, I, I don't want your help, would all of a sudden recognize that, that their way was not helping them at all. And they would come to Jesus saying, I was wrong. I need your help. I want your help. I receive your help. Jesus was looking forward to, past our unbelief, to the point in time where he would stay on mission, he would go to the cross, he would die for our sins, that we would have newness of life, and we would be able to see Jesus for who he really is, not as some cosmic killjoy, but as the giver of everlasting life who wants us to be full of joy in his presence. That's the joy that was set before Jesus by which he endured the cross. Jesus is not stopped by our unbelief. Jesus kept going, and that's the good news. The good news is not the miracles that Jesus did, though that was good news for those people who he did the miracles for. But the biggest news is that even in the midst of unbelief, even in our struggle to receive the help that Jesus wants to give us, he doesn't stop in the midst of that unbelief. He keeps going all the way to the cross. He stays on mission. And what's fascinating about the background of the story is how uh, his, his own family's view of Jesus changed over time. If you go back to the um, to the, the, the birth of Jesus, there's Joseph and Mary, and they get these visitations from angels, and they get visitation from shepherds and, and from wise men, and, and there's this sort of all this hoopla around who their son would be, and they sort of they, they treasure it in their hearts, right? What, what's going to happen? But then as Jesus grows up and he starts walking in the power that, that God has given him, they, they actually think he's nuts, 
If you look at Mark chapter 3, verse 23, 21, it said Jesus is out of his mind. Right? And we do this today. When people are too religious, too crazy about God, we say, yeah, they're, you know, I kind of believe in God, but they're a little nuts. And that's what his family thought. They thought, our son, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. And they're with the crowd in Nazareth, back in his hometown, taking offense like everyone else at Jesus. But Jesus doesn't give up. Later, we read that Paul records Jesus came after he was resurrected from the dead, and he spoke to a bunch of people, including James, one of his brothers. We read in Acts 1.14 that Mary and Jesus' brothers were together praying. And so what we see is that Jesus didn't end his pursuit of his family. He didn't give up. He said, okay, you're not believing right now, but I'm going to keep trying. And eventually he breaks through so that this whole family was believing in him as Lord and Savior. And that's the good news for us. Miracles alone are not enough, but Jesus is enough. Because he perseveres through our belief, through our unbelief, to accomplish the mission of dying for our sins and rising from the dead in victory over sin and death. And that gives us hope that we too will rise with him. He is our Lord and our Savior, and he doesn't give up. And that's the good news. An application question that I want to conclude with. What does it look like to believe? Belief is a very powerful theme within Mark, very powerful theme in the passage that we're talking to. So, so, So what does it look like to believe? And I would say it's faith in action. Faith in action. And, and to, to connect the dots between what Pastor Andrew was preaching uh, last Sunday to how we can take an application today, uh, what we saw in the lives of those who express their faith, it's not just the feeling. Like faith is not just something you feel inside. Oh, I just feel like I believe. The faith that we see in the, in the scriptures takes an action. Whether it's the, the woman who had the flow of blood, right? She could feel all she wanted to about what she thought about Jesus, but she took an action to go into the crowd and to touch the hem of Jesus' garment because she believed she took an action. The same thing with Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He had all the money in the world, all the resources at his disposal, but he believed that wasn't enough, so he went to Jesus and said, come and heal my daughter. He took an action. As I was sitting here last Sunday, and and Pastor Andrew talked about this board, I went to stand outside by the desk because I've had this terrible sciatic pain. I couldn't sit in the pews. And I remember thinking and praying outside there, and I thought, you know what? Like, part of faith, like, it doesn't have to be a big faith. Sometimes we get paralyzed by, oh, I got to have this big faith. I got to feel a certain way. I was like, no, you don't. My faith in action is just going and putting a sticky note on this board. 
and believing, even though I might have doubts, even though I might go, I don't know, I'm going to do it anyway because I believe that God sees and knows and hears my prayer and he can do something about it. And that was my faith in action. Sometimes that's all it is, a sticky note and putting God, I don't know what you can do. I think you can do something. Preaching the sermons of faith in action. It's funny, uh, Pastor Andrew asked me to, to preach this passage, and sometimes I preach before, you know, you, you look at a passage, you can say, oh, that preaches. Right? I can see the sermon, right? I'm like, yeah, I want to preach that because I can see it. And when I saw this passage, I did not see the sermon at all. So I don't see it. Like before, what, what happened to like, touch down Jesus, touch down Jesus, touch down Jesus, and reject it. What, what is there for us in this? And I saw the email. I said, you know what? That's not faith. If you see it, that's not faith. But when you don't see it, that takes faith. I didn't see the sermon, but I said, you know what? By faith, God's, God's never not given me a sermon before. <laughs> He'll give me a sermon. Yes, Pastor, I'll do it. And then I think God spoke to me through this passage. It's like, oh, wow, this is really rich. This is really good. And it took a step of action to trust in God, even though we didn't see it. And so that's the application. I want to encourage us. Take a step. You don't have to feel a certain way. You don't have to have it all figured out in your mind on how God's going to do it. Just take a step forward in faith. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are alive and well and that you speak to us through your word. Lord, uh, you've heard all of our prayers, all the ones that are on the board, all the ones that we've said in our hearts, the prayers we've prayed for years, the prayers we will pray. Lord, you've heard them all. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to believe and help us to walk and take steps of faith towards you. And trust, Lord, that, that you will meet us where we're at. Lord, you've promised that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that you will be with us until the end of the age. And I pray that we would hold on to that truth, that we would understand and know and believe that you're with us. Lord, and that through that, we would have a hope that cannot be shaken, that will be a foundation, a rock to steady us in the midst of life's storms, in the midst of life's doubts, in the midst of crises. Lord, that, we would, that you would remain unchanged and at the center of our identity, that we would experience your love and forgiveness of our sins, Lord, that past sins would not uh, enslave us, Lord, but that we would believe the grace that you've given us, that we would receive the, the cleansing that you've given us by your blood, that we would claim eternal life in your name by faith. You cannot, uh, nothing can take it away. Help us, Father, to have that confidence, to have that peace, and to rejoice in the salvation that you have brought and the salvation that you will bring for all eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. 
Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.